What did you dream about as a kid? What did you want life to be like? Did it turn out that way? Has everything gone the way that you dreamed and hoped, all the things that you thought of when you were younger? The answer, of course, for all of us is no. There are many, many things that we thought we wanted, we thought life was going to be like, and uh, we've not achieved really any of those things the way we conceived of it then. Solomon understood, or actually I should say he pursued life and he did get everything he wanted. It did turn out the way that he desired. And at the end he said, this is all vanity and futile and worthless. We're going to talk about the day, that today. Welcome. Glad you joined us today. Hey, by the way, um, did, you, uh, did you check out Gabe's new song yesterday, his new song, Joy? There's a, a link in the uh, show notes uh, or in the description. If you uh, haven't listened to that yet, I'd love to hear what you, what you think of it. Um, also, in the, uh, on the Cross to Crown YouTube homepage, uh, there is this newer community tab, at least it's newer to me, and I understand that we can communicate there. So if, uh, if there are updates, if I uh, want to tell you something about uh, what's coming up or whatever, I can put it there. So check that out. And if you want to interact there, uh, please do. Also, if you're going to ask questions during this uh, live stream, uh, start with capital Q and then write your question, and that'll allow me to easily uh, find your question. Well, today is a good day, and it's good to remind ourselves of why it is a good day. So today is the day the Lord has made, and your response, of course, is, let's say it together, we will rejoice and be glad in it. So let's rejoice together in God's goodness. If you have your cup of coffee, let's sip together and enjoy what he has blessed us with. Uh, that's good. Little little example of God's blessing. All right, so we're going to continue uh, with our study of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to pick up in chapter one, verse twelve. So let me uh, let me read a few of those verses for us. Uh, he says, "I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven." And here's his conclusion. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. So Solomon says, I sought with all the God-given wisdom I have to see what is happening in this world. And his conclusion is rather depressing. It's grievous. That is the Hebrew word that is often translated evil. It's an evil task. It's a, it's a heavy task God has given to us. I've seen all the works and it's all vanity. Remember, we talked yesterday, that's the, the word hevel, which means vapor or mist. It's, we talked about the breath that is out there for a second, then gone, a, a mist that is, that is there like a fog for a moment and then it dissipates. He says everything, everything we're trying to accomplish in humanity there's no substance, there's no permanence. It's just there for a moment and then it's gone. It's a striving after the wind. Another metaphor he uses, you're chasing after this wind, but you can't ever catch it. And here's, here's why it's so um, grievous and futile in his mind. Verse 15, right here. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. We discussed this yesterday. Later on, he's going to tell us who it is that makes things crooked, and it's God. 
So he's saying, I can have all these dreams, all these desires, I can pursue whatever I want, but at the end of the day, God's in control. And if he doesn't allow, if he doesn't bring about what, what I want, I, I can't change that. If he makes something crooked, I can't make it straight. If he doesn't provide, I can't count it. So what really is the hope of accomplishing anything? Well, that's where we got through yesterday. Let's, let's go on. He said, I, I said to myself, self, behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me. My mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. He said, I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. Think about that. He is, he is choosing to, to really be careful and understand madness and folly. And he said this too, it is striving after the wind. Why? Because in much wisdom, there is much grief and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Ignorance really is bliss, Solomon says. The more we know, the more it hurts, the more disappointment. When we're children, when we're young, when we're just entering in, into a new enterprise, even, even as adults, we're dreaming. We're, we're, we're just full of hope and joy. And then reality comes crashing in and we realize all the, all the, the wonderful things we, we were thinking, it just doesn't happen that way. That's why I said at the beginning, think about when you were a kid, what did you want? What did you think life was going to be like? And you might experience some of that for a little while, but then reality comes crashing down. I remember when I was in college and I was pursuing a music career and I was going to change the world by music. This was back in the day when Christian music, uh, contemporary Christian music was just really catching fire. Uh, Michael W. Smith and uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman were two of the huge names and, and I played guitar and people even said I looked a little bit like Stephen Curtis Chapman in that day. So that, that's what I wanted. I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to join him in changing the world for Christ. And so I went to this, uh, this Christian songwriters workshop. And I, I couldn't be more excited. Niles Borup was there. He had written a lot of hit songs, had a lot of uh, experience in the Christian music industry. And I couldn't wait to learn from him. And I was convinced I was going to come out of that uh, workshop. And, and here we go. And I brought some of my songs because they invited you to bring three songs you had written, record them, and then he would evaluate them. And so that was awesome. I couldn't wait to get his, uh, his responses. And <laughs> it was a humbling experience. Uh, a couple of them, he responded very... Um, uh, very honestly, and uh, and that burst my bubble a little bit because I thought my songs were great, and he didn't think they were so great. One of them, he actually wrote some wonderful things about, and uh, so I just focused on that. But here's the thing that stuck with me. He said, the Christian music business is first business. It's second music, and third Christian and this workshop spent so much time talking about uh, the business elements uh, of marketing and how you have to write songs that people want to hear. And here's the formula uh, that, that songwriters need to use so that people want to hear them. And how at that time, radio stations, record companies, labels would buy huge chunks of radio time. And so you had to get in with the right managers and the right uh, labels so they would promote your stuff to the right radio stations. And it was, it was just this complex uh, business model and you really had to know the right people. So that was the first thing, it was all business. 
And then the second thing was the music. It had to be the right kind of music. It had to catch people's ears with music. And and uh, this was verified. Uh, my wife and I took a trip to Nashville and ch- and checked out the music scene there. And you know there were there were people playing in in uh, in clubs on the on the corner that were amazing musicians. And they were trying to make it, but they they couldn't get their their foot in the door. Uh, music was second, and then third, he said, is the Christian element. And I came away kind of sad. Like I had these dreams of changing the world with music for Jesus, and realized, well, uh, it's it's not all about that. Uh, I was kind of disillusioned. Think about um, if you're married on your wedding day. Uh, we go into our weddings, right? It's going to be the greatest day of our life, and we're going to enter into this wonderful relationship where it's just just bliss. It's just perfect. It's just going to be wonderful. We're just going to live happily ever after. And the wedding is great. But then real life sets in with marriage and you realize, I married a sinner and, and so did she. <laughs> and and we have to go to work and we have to get on with life. And it's just not all the fairy tales that Disney has portrayed for us of what marriage is. Or same thing when, when you have your first child. Congratulations, you're pregnant. And then morning sickness sets in for the wife, and, and then the baby grows, and it's wonderful, but it's hard and back pain and, and all the other stuff. And then you have the baby, and that's, of course, uh, great labor for the, for the woman. And then you don't sleep for 20 years, <laughs> and you've got all the other hard things about raising children. And it's like this, this fairy tale that, that we sort of create in our culture of what it's like to be married and have kids, and then the reality can be so different. It's easy to become disillusioned. And we can get to the, to the same conclusion that Solomon does is, yeah, I've, I've, I've chased life with wisdom and realized it's hard and it can seem futile. It can seem worthless. And the more I know, the more I don't want to know. My son right now is taking a business class at Pikes Peak Community College. And uh, he's, he's eager to learn about business because we want to grow this music business together. And now they're starting to get in. Like yesterday, they had a conversation about HR and all the political correctness and the things you can say and can't say. And, and if you hire this person, can you fire them? Well, not if they're in this minority group or not if this, not if that. And, and he came home frustrated. Like, so if we grow this business and we hire employees, do we really have any control over what they do? And, and some of you may be business owners and you know how that works in the real world. Uh, and it's easy to be to, to have our dreams crushed, to have our balloons popped and say, man, the more I know, the more pain there is. That's, that's what Solomon saw. He, he looked reality in the face and said, hmm, yeah, this life does not, uh, does not provide everything that we, we think it might. So we're going to go on to chapter two. He keeps on the same theme. He said to himself, self, come now. I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. All right, he, he's going he's gonna to give it a test drive. What, what is there out there to be enjoyed? I'm going to do it. Let's do it. And his conclusion, he says here at the beginning, it too was futility. That word futility is the same word we've been seeing. It's a vapor. The pleasure, the joy of pleasure is there for a moment, and then it just dissipates. It drifts away. I said of laughter, it is madness. Laughter, it's madness. Think about how much money is spent in our day on comedies. We love comedies. Uh, we love to laugh. And, and the Bible does talk about the, the benefit of, of laughter, the, the joy, the gladness that we can have. But, 
there's this whole industry of laughter. You know, occasionally we find those comedians that are um, that are really, really exceptional, really funny, really good, and they don't have to stoop to crass things. Um, but even there, it's short-lived, and you probably know this. It seems like so many comedians live lives of depression, uh, you, and the suicide rate, I understand, among comedians is pretty high. It's like while they're on stage, they can muster up uh, whatever they need creatively uh, to, to make us laugh, but then uh, their own lives can be hard and their life is not joy and fun and celebration. It's, uh, it's difficult. And, and that's kind of what Solomon says here. Uh, I looked at laughter and I said, it's madness. And then he pursues pleasure. He says, what does it accomplish? Uh, do, we, do we really gain anything out of pleasure? He said, I explored with my mind. He thought this through. I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely. So he pursued uh, wine. He pursued, I don't know if we want to lump all drugs into this, but he, he said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this, this thing we call wine, uh, this, this, uh, this substance that impacts us, and I'm going to engage my mind and think about what wine does to me. And I'm going to see if there's any pleasure, any, any true value and worth to, to wine. Boy, is this something our culture needs to hear and think about. We use drugs in our culture as an escape because most people today do not want to look reality in the face. They don't really want to wrestle with what Solomon's wrestling with the meaning of life, the value of life, the profit of life. So they work and they work to make money so they can buy stuff that they want, that they, that they will think will bring them more pleasure. And, and then they, they want to escape from the reality of the hard things of life. So they do drugs and it may feel good for a moment, uh, but it doesn't really accomplish anything. And and Solomon says, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue this with focus and intentionality and see, does wine actually do anything? And his response is, no, it doesn't accomplish anything. He said, with his mind guiding him wisely, he's going to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their life. Is there anything profitable? Is there anything that I can look at and say that is truly accomplishing something. And he gives this long list of things that he did. And he dream, he lived the dream, man. He accomplished it all. Look what he says here, verse 4. I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted, well, let me stop. I built houses, not a house. I built houses. Like I have this palace I'm going to build my winter home and my summer home and my beachfront home and my mountain home. I, I, he had the money, he had the means, he had the, the laborers. He said, I, I built houses for myself. Did that accomplish anything? We'll see. I planted vineyards for myself. So he's, he's going to have the best wine, the best fruit. He's going to have the, the, the greatest uh, in, in his cup. I made gardens and parks for myself. 
think botanical gardens, think, uh, think, um, not just a vegetable garden, though he, he is going to mention food here, but think uh, the kind of garden that you would just want to, that has all the most beautiful trees and bushes and, and, and also fruit producing plants and the kind of place that you would just want to walk around in and enjoy the smells, the sights, uh, everything. Uh, he, he, he had the money and the people, the resources to build these glorious uh, parks and gardens and all the kinds of fruit trees. Now, we buy a lot of processed foods. We have a lot of well-prepared foods. Uh, what Solomon is saying here is he had the very best food that money could buy. Um, if you think of having your own personal chef who would make anything you want day in, day out to eat, he had it. And you hear about this, right? Um, I, I remember reading an article last year, a couple of years ago, when Tom Ray, Brady was at the height of his fame. And, and I don't know, maybe he's still at the to- height of his fame. He's For those of you non-sports fans, he's the uh, quarterback for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, before that with the New England Patriots. And a very wealthy man. His wife is a supermodel, very wealthy woman. And uh, I read an article where they were talking about his daily habits of, uh, of exercise and, and all of that and included was his nutrition. And he has given a lot of thought to everything that goes into his body. Uh, it's like he's planned out. I think he's planned out, I uh, forget if it was months or even a year maybe, he's planned out of, of his food and, uh, and what he's going to eat. And he, he has done all the investigation to determine exactly what the best food he can eat is for his lifestyle to uh, stay an athlete. And, and he's, he's an old guy for an athlete, and he's still in great shape. Well, and so I was reading that, telling my wife about that and, uh, you know, comparing that to what we eat and thinking, well, yeah, anybody could eat like that if we had our own chef. If if we had a full-time person who that was their job was to simply provide us whatever meals we wanted, uh, then we could eat as healthy and as, as glorious as we wanted to. Solomon had that. He planted all these vineyards, planted these gardens, and he ate like a king, (laughs) Because he was a king, but not just any king. He was a very wealthy king. So he pursued that with intentionality. He said, uh, verse six, I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. So he, he was a gifted civil engineer and, and designed this whole uh, irrigation system to make sure that everything was flowing and profitable and productive. He bought male and female slaves. He had homeborn slaves. So he had all the servants he wanted to accomplish all of these things. He says, also, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. He was wealthy beyond measure. Uh, think about the, uh, the rich men of today. Think of Jeff Bezos. Uh, yesterday, I think it was, I saw an article that uh, Elon Musk is now worth more than ExxonMobil oil company. Uh, which is, they were pointing out the, the significance of that because Elon Musk makes electric cars, Exxon Oil, you know, uh, produces the, uh, the oil and gas for uh, so much of our, uh, our traditional cars that run on gasoline. And he has now surpassed, he as an individual, has surpassed in wealth uh, the entire Exxon Mobil company. And Elon Musk has it all, right? He, he's, he's rich, 
crazy rich. Uh, he's changing the landscape of the world with uh, with Tesla. He's building rockets and sending people to space. Uh, there's a lesser known thing, but he he's created this this tunnel maker that uh, I'm not even sure what all they're going to do with it, but it may be the most significant thing that he's doing. Uh, and so he he has all the wealth, all the productivity. He's he's in some ways a, a modern day Solomon. Solomon says, I provided for myself, uh, I, I collected all the silver and gold and treasure, and I provided for myself male and female singers. So who is your favorite music artist of all time? I'm going to give you a chance to respond to this in the comments. I'd like to hear from you. Oh, <laughs> Will Scott says, sorry, I'm late. Traffic. Yeah. Uh, had to get from the uh, the bedroom to the kitchen to get your coffee maybe and watch. So who are your, who's your favorite musician? If you could have the opportunity to sit in front of uh, one artist, dead or alive, of all time, who would you pick? Who's the who's the person, the band, the the orchestra, the uh, the singer? Uh, who, who's your favorite? Who do you like to listen to? I'm just going to give you a second to respond in comments here and, and see if anybody wants to uh, to share who that is. Um, I told you, you know, some of my favorites: Stephen Curtis Chapman, uh, and Michael W. Smith from back in the day. Uh, of course, uh, classically, uh, I'm a classically trained music musician. I think of uh, J.S. Bach. Um, how wonderful would it be to uh, to have him writing songs uh, for me to listen to daily? Mozart, uh, one of the best. There's some great jazz folks. Uh, any of you are any of you musicians? Any of you interested in music? Any of you love to just listen? You think, man, if I had uh, John Coltrane playing saxophone in my uh, in my uh, House or Chet Atkins playing guitar, or Andre Segovia playing guitar. Any anybody have a, a favorite musician? Uh, <laughs> Kegu says Gabe Gooden. Yes. Well, um, why did you pick Gabe Gooden? Just because he's my son? <laughs> well, Scott says Chris Tomlin. Yeah, I'd love to ha- love to have him lead have uh, lead worship uh, just every day in your uh, in your house. Um, of course, if you listen to any radio station, any Christian radio station today, you're likely to have plenty of Chris Tomlin. Anybody else want to chime in here? All right. Well, Solomon had the the opportunity, the the wealth to hire and train, uh, as he says here, female singers uh, and musicians, male and female singers. So he had. Johann Sebastian Bach. He had he had Mozart right there at his beck and call to perform anytime he wanted. He just had it, and then he says, "I also had the pleasures of men, many concubines." And we we saw that uh, before the seven hundred wives, three hundred concubines. He had all the women that he could possibly want. So here's kind of heading toward his conclusion. Then I became great. And increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me through all of this. So he's pursuing wisdom and his, his wits were about him. His wisdom, he was, he was focused. He says, all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart was pleased because of all my labor. And this was my reward for all my labor. So he does see some benefit. He's not pretending that pleasure isn't pleasurable. Of course it is. We wouldn't want it. We wouldn't pursue it. He's not saying, I didn't enjoy the music. I didn't enjoy the women. I didn't enjoy the wine. No, he did. And he he was rewarded by pl- being pleased with what he had produced and being pleased with his experiences. 
Verse 11, thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity. It was all striving after the wind. There was no profit under the sun. So yeah, there was the moment of a joy, and he could look out of his gardens and say, I built that. I did that. He could go to his vineyards and pluck some grapes and say, I did this. And look at the irrigation system that, that, that he designed to bring the water to, to take care of his garden and, and the vineyard and say, I accomplished that. And enjoy, he enjoyed his wives and his women, enjoyed the music, all these things. But at the end of the day, does it last? No. The gardens have to be maintained. Diseases, famine come in. This wonderful irrigation system may dry up at any point if God doesn't send rain. Uh, He said earlier, the ears are never satisfied with hearing. Like, okay, I get all the music I want every day, but it gets kind of boring. Like, yeah, that sounds a lot like the music I had yesterday and the day before. Uh, we, We experience that in our day, don't we? We have on our phones, we have access to you know, basically all the music that's ever been produced, or at least in, in, you know, recent memory. And yet we're always looking for something new, something, something that we're not tired of, or we go back to the old standards because we can't find anything we like better. Uh, there, it, does it actually accomplish anything? Does it produce anything long-term? No. Uh, decay sets in. The second law of thermodynamics is real. We can't get away from it. Atrophy sets in. We get bored. We're just not content and satisfied if we are trying to find ultimate purpose and meaning in any of this stuff. And that's what Solomon is doing here. He's acknowledging, I I, I pursued these things with full engagement of my mind and wisdom to see if there's any lasting substance to all the things of life. And his answer is no, it's not. Jesus picks up on this theme, and he draws a similar conclusion to Solomon, but then points us in the direction of what we should be pursuing and how to, how to handle all this. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is, is warning us about finding uh, our, our allegiance, finding our hope in money. It's the passage where he says you can't serve mammon and God. Uh, Don't uh, store up treasures here on earth, he says, but store up treasures in heaven. Because if you store it up here, it's going to decay. It's going to be stolen. It's going to be gone. You're going to make an investment in something that's thriving. Elon Musk, the reason he accomplished such wealth yesterday is because Tesla stock is up over $1,000 per share. It was down at, you know, 600 uh, just a a few weeks ago, and it was down, you know, 200 a year or so ago or whatever. Well, and it can drop any day, and suddenly Elon Musk will not be worth any more than uh, Exxon Oil. Um, things can happen to our money here and now. And Jesus is saying, don't put your treasure here. And then he says this, for this reason, I say, do not be worried about your life. How easy is it to become consumed with life, with the things of life? Don't be worried about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink. Don't be worried about your body as to what you're going to put on. Is not life more than food? Uh, Now, I'm not a foodie. 
I don't live for food. I enjoy food, especially things like ice cream. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, I, I sort of eat to live. Uh, my wife, on the other hand, uh, I don't know if she's listening at the moment. She'll probably come running in here if she is. Uh, my wife, on the other hand, is a foodie. She loves food. And there are some times that I think uh, if you ask her the question, is not, is not life more than food? She might say, I don't know. Food's pretty good. <laughs> Just kidding. Of course, it's not. But Jesus knows that for some of us, it's easy to be wrapped up in food, especially if you don't know where your next meal is coming from. And it's easy to be consumed with worry about food. Is not the body more than clothing, he says. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? You're worth more than the birds. The birds fly around, and they, they find a worm, they go down and get it. Uh, they're just doing what birds are supposed to do, and they trust the Father to provide. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? I think he has allusions to Ecclesiastes here. What God has straightened, I mean, what God has made crooked, you can't straighten. And if God doesn't provide it, you can't count it. Worrying about these things, about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, doesn't make you one inch taller, which is uh, what the, the Greek behind this uh, is getting at. You, you can't change your appearance. You can't change the things that God has set in, in stone. Uh, you, you can't add a single hour to your life. You, we don't have control of these things. You can make your plans for what you're going to eat and wear, but if God doesn't provide, there's nothing you can do about it. So why are you worried about it? Why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. So this Solomon who accomplished everything he could want and had it all, had the finest of clothes, the finest houses, everything. Jesus here says he wasn't experiencing as much glory as even the lilies of the field. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, the unbelievers, eagerly seek all of these things. They are after everything Solomon was after. He says, your heavenly father knows you need these things. So don't make those your life pursuit, but verse 33, seek first. Above all else, seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Solomon pursued all of these things as an end in themselves and said, they're worthless ultimately. Jesus says, yeah, they are. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is worth all of your pursuits and if you pursue that, the Father will also be, provide you with what you need to eat and, and to wear, and he'll take care of you. And you can find joy in those things because you're not expecting them to provide ultimate contentment and satisfaction. So what are your thoughts? What are you reflecting on? What do you think? Uh, what questions do you have? Remember, put Q, if you will. If you write a question, put a capital Q and then, then write your question. But uh, what, do you, what do you think as you reflect on all of this, as you, as you reflect on what Solomon's saying? What are, 
what are you tempted to uh, to try to find satisfaction in? What do you worry about, and what questions or comments do you have? Share share with the rest of us kind of what you're what you're thinking. I don't find satisfaction in coffee, but I like coffee. It is one of God's blessings to us. If you're not a coffee drinker, I'm I'm sorry for you. And I'm talking about black coffee, not the kind of coffee that's got uh, you know the frou frou stuff in it. Might as well. Well, anyway. Anybody have thoughts, uh, questions? How easy is it for us to be uh, to be consumed with the things of this life? Our culture wants us to. Uh, the culture has abandoned the ultimate things. Uh, we really are living, as Ecclesiastes is talking about, that we're living in this. Um, there is nothing beyond the sun, and so all we have is things on the earth which causes people to just pursue uh, pleasures and and to find meaning in the things of, of this life, and it doesn't satisfy. That's why there's so much depression, so much suicide, uh, so much um, uh, disappointment in life because we're thinking as a culture uh, that we can find it here. Politics, right now there's a lot of people just wrapped up in politics, and, and politics matters, of course. Uh, the the end uh, of all of this could be significant for us. Oh, there she is. Did you hear what I just said about you? No. Okay, good. I said wonderful things about you. This is my wife. She's saying goodbye. Good She's morning. on her way to work. <laughs> Have a great day. All right. Well, I'm not seeing anybody respond here, so I'm going to assume that you have nothing to say, which is fine. Uh, tomorrow, we will continue on with this study. I encourage you today to pay attention to what... Uh, what it is you may be uh, tempted to find satisfaction in and don't be worried about those things. Seek his kingdom first and enjoy the, uh, the things that he does provide for the day. And we will talk to you tomorrow.